rock. Everything else is sinking sand. Father, thank you that you showed us who you are through your son who died and forgave us of our sins. Father, we are so thankful for that. Father, we pray in this next time as we come to your word. Father, we want to know you. We want to see you. Father, we know it's only through your Holy Spirit that we can see any of these things. Help us, Father. We ask this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Here Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. These are great verses. And my guess would be, if we were to take a look at a top ten of verses that Christians say are their favorites, my guess is that particularly verse 28 is going to be in that top ten. It's just a great verse. And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to know that for those who love Jesus, that there's this God who's promised us that everything that comes into our lives is there because of his loving kindness. And not only that, that all things work together for good. It's a great verse. But there's a problem sometimes in just taking one verse, as wonderful as it is. This is certainly God's truth. But there's another half of the story that illuminates, and that is verse 29. We'll get to that in a second. A temptation in just reading verse 28 is that it seems like it's all about me. It seems like the reason, the reason that Jesus came was that he loved, he loved his children and he wanted to save us from hell, the penalty from sin, the, that, that one penalty from sin, and then to direct our paths so that everything works out in a way that we can say, see clearly, boom, 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 one by one, we can say, ah, oh, that one makes sense, that one makes sense, oh, I like that one, it's just the way I would have planned it. <clears throat> it's tempting to read it that way. And we know that for those who who love God, all things work together for good. And, and we like good. We all like the good. But sometimes we don't know what good is. And then comes verse 29. As a matter of fact, I'm going to guess that the first phrase of verse 29 is another one that, that we tend to think of alone, and it's wonderful. And verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And we stop right there and say, Wow! Not only has God done all this, he's been thinking about this for a long time. This was his plan from the beginning of time. He chose me from the beginning of time. He loved me from the beginning of time. Great words. But then there's a phrase after that. 
Start again with verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Why? To be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Now, I'll be honest with you, for a good part of my adult life, somehow that last phrase just kind of just tapered off. Everything else was so wonderful. I liked, it was so easy to remember that all things work together for good. That's true. I loved thinking about the fact that not only is that true, but God was deliberately thinking about this, foreknew me from the beginning of time. That's true, and that's wonderful. And then the rest of it just kind of got lost. But I've been coming to find in the past year or so that it's really that phrase that I lost that is so important and so dear. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the deal. That's why he came. He didn't come simply to save me from hell and then just sort of say, well, now I'll just sort of put the pieces of your life together so it's, it's pretty predictable for your comfort. No, my situation was far worse from that. I was in a kingdom of darkness. Everything was awful. My life was defined by my sin, by my, by my rebellion against God. And so brought together, I'm, I'm now starting to see that all things work together for good because his goal is to have me to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, the, whole, the New Testament is, is full of this idea. Uh, we can take a look at a couple right now. Let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I'd love to read the whole chapter because Paul is just, expounding on the wonder of what God does for us. But to make sure that we fit in the allotted time, I won't read the whole chapter. Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, And so, from that day, by the way, that day refers to verse 3, when he's talking about, since we heard of your faith. Ah, so... Let's remember that. And so returning to verse 9, And so from the day we heard of your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is starting to give us an idea that the scope of what God intended in our lives is far more than just the forgiveness of the direct punishment of sin. But rather we're seeing that the intent is, his words here, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Then he goes on to, to talk about being fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. You know, so often we Christians talk about wanting to know God's will. And I know Bill has, brought, has, has talked about this many times, but if the truth be told, what we're usually talking about is our comfort. We don't want the basement to leak. You know, we want to make the right plans because we're thinking, well, all things work together for good, so we're thinking good must mean this nice, orderly, structured life. And that's what we're often thinking. But here it's very obvious that when it talks about knowing his will, 
all, it means all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, knowing the mind of God, knowing what pleases him. So that the, when the basement does leak, we can praise God. Also in this verse, we see that he's calling us to bear fruit. And of course, that should, that should bring to mind passages like Galatians 5.20, or is it 22, where the Apostle Paul lists out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, probably joy in there. Um, so these are the things that God is calling us to. Th- this is what is to characterize our life in Christ. Another great passage that helps illuminate this is in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 5, and then I'd like to read verse 10. Paul says, and you were dead in your transgresses, trespasses and sins in which, in, what, in, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body of, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul's saying that's where we all were, every one of us. But verse 4 starts, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace we have been saved. And going down to verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And so as we take all of these together, we're starting to get the picture that what Christ saved us from was not just a penalty from sin, but rather to, to pluck us out of a kingdom of darkness and bring him into his kingdom of light. Bill's been talking about this as we've been going through First Peter, the whole comparison of Darkness and light. We were in darkness. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite passages is Colossians 1.14, where it's plain that, that God has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of his Son. And just to think of that analogy of we were once in a world where everything was awful. We couldn't do good. And as a matter of fact, I love the way uh, Mike Shue said it when he was preaching here a couple months ago, that hell is where you must do where, what you want to do. thought about that statement a lot, where you must do what your inner self craves for, and you know in the end that's really awful, but yet hell is where we must do that, and God has set us free from that. That was his intention. So getting back to Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what it's about. That's what knowing Christ is about. He conforms us, God conforms us to the image of his son. That was the purpose all along. Why is that important? Well, first of all, it's true. That is the deal. No matter what my ideas were of why Christ came, here he's declaring, that was my intention, to save you out of a life of darkness and bring you into a life of light. And what that means is living a life of light, living a life that exudes the characteristics of our God. 
But another reason why I feel it's important is the following. Because dwelling on this gives us the right perspective to understand God's intentions as the circumstances of our lives unfold. I don't know what t- this afternoon's going to bring. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what next week brings. Oh, I've got plans. My guess is we've all got plans. But I don't know what's going to happen. And as the events of our lives unfold, how do we interpret this? How do we see God's hand? Bill's been talking about suffering as we've been going through 1 Peter. And 1 Peter was written to a people that had already gone through suffering and were going to go through more. Uh, Rome was a difficult place for a Christian to be in the first century. These people understood that. And these thoughts would be very important for them. Now, most of us know something about suffering in one, in one shape or another. Uh, I must admit that I thought I understood suffering as a young person, but I must admit now that I'm not so young anymore. It's just interesting, as you age, you start to see things that you didn't see before. Uh, Partly just because when you're young, everything seems to be about you. Uh, Your bodies are young. You're able to do things. But then as you grow older and you see people around you going through difficult things, you start to see, hmm, life is... There's more to life than I thought. Now, suffering can involve a whole lot of things. Loss of a loved one, an illness, a long-term health issue, depression, marital problems or singleness problems, persecution for righteousness. That's certainly what the, the people in Peter's audience were when he wrote that letter. Suffering is difficult. I'd like to share something of my life in the past year or so, and I do this with a little bit of trepidation because, number one, I don't want the focus to be on me or the specific thing that uh, my family has gone through, and I am very aware, very aware that there is suffering in this congregation of a very different nature, maybe, and I'm just very concerned that, that... the message is correct here. I want, I want this to be an encouragement because I think Christians are supposed to encourage each other when things are difficult. My story is October 26th of 2003. Susan and I had just come back from a very nice little weekend in, in, um, out in Missouri around a lake, kind of enjoying the, the empty nest. Uh, it's not necessarily great being old, but it's kind of nice when the kids leave. Um, we were enjoying that, and as we were driving home, we were thinking, you know, we had a nice weekend, but of course real life was going to start. We were, tr- we were starting to engage what we thought the rest of the weekend or the week was going to be. We got home, and the message machine was flashing. Okay, no big deal. Hit the first one, and it was a message from Sioux City, Iowa, saying that our 22-year-old daughter had been in, a, in an auto accident, It was bad, lots of broken bones, but at that point, it seemed okay. Hit the next button, and this was the one that said, we don't think she's going to make it through the operation. Get up here quick. It's a big deal. Uh, This is the phone call that any parent or anyone dreads, and I thought, this is life in action. 
it didn't sound good at all. And we made another phone call, and they just didn't know what was going to happen. She was on the operating table at that moment. What we didn't know is she was experiencing a trauma called DIC, which has something to do with your blood clotting. Your body, because of the trauma, starts clotting, and then the body breaks them down, but you lose all the clotting factors so that you can't protect yourself against your real injuries. And the nurses in the congregation here have told me since that not many people live through something like that. It was a long five-hour drive to get up there. Lots of thoughts were going through our mind. We just didn't know what to expect when we got there. One thing we didn't expect was to be, meet, was to be met by, I believe, six of Becky's old college friends from Dort College up there who had been there praying and waiting for us at 2 in the morning. What a blessing that was. What a blessing to see God's people praying together. It was certainly difficult walking into a room. She was in a drug-induced coma on a respirator. I just sank to my knees sobbing. You just, there's just no pr preparing yourself for something like that. Now, at that point, though, she did seem to be out of that woods, and then we, we were thinking, okay, now we've got all these bones to, to take care of. Well, what we didn't know was that three days later, she was in another trauma, something called ARDS, where basically your lungs get stiff and they can't get oxygen into them, and they say half the people die from that. That was the most difficult time for me. Uh, I'm an engineer. I'm logical. My friends call me Eeyore. Those are my friends. I was in her room that night. I saw blood in her urine. I was just looking at the respirator going in and out, and I thought, I think God's going to take her. I'm a realist. God had taken our first, ch our first child to crib death uh, 25 years ago. I know that difficult things happen to those who love God, so I knew that. I really thought he was preparing me for some very difficult news. We went, up, we went out to the ICU waiting room and held hands together praying. My parents were there and some other people. I was sobbing uncontrollably. I was so afraid of what was going to happen. But And I also knew I really thought God was going to take her. But I was never more aware of God's loving kindness. I can't explain that except that that's what God does. As we were praying, I knew I was praying at God's throne. I really thought that the news that was going to be coming in the next day was not what I would have chosen. But it was unbelievable that God convinced me of his loving kindness. Now, she did make it through that day. And she made it through that uh, ARDS syndrome. Things were certainly difficult after that. Uh, there were a whole lot of broken bones, and, and still she has some issues, although I'm very thankful that God saved her life. We got a card. We got so many cards from you, so many phone calls, so many cards. Uh, it seemed at times that, that half of Lawrence was up in Sioux City, Iowa for three weeks. We are so thankful to you. But this card was so helpful. It starts, as you go through this, dot, dot, dot. Difficult things can cause us to ask, why did this happen? But if we're trusting Christ, we never have to ask, how could this happen? God may never reveal to us all of his reasons, but he has revealed his character to us. His character assures us that he never makes mistakes, is never uncaring, and that he never separates us from our need. It's so good to be reminded by truth. Now, many of the cards that we got were comforting. 
and that was good. But so is God's truth. And as I read this card, I thought, this is significant. God may never reveal all of his reasons to us, but he has revealed his character. And boy, did that resonate. Because it's knowing God's character that gave us faith. It wasn't having faith in any one thing that he would do. Remember, I was really convinced he was going to take her. But it's his character. Well, what is the character of this God? Bill's brought us through this a number of times. If, If Bill was here today, he would say that the key aspects of God's character are that he's sovereign and that he's wise and that he's good. Now, I'll talk briefly about the first two. First of all, he's sovereign. He's in charge. I guess the best example of this, the one that I love, is when Jesus is out on the boat with the disciples and the storm comes and they're scared to death, and he just stands up and just calms the storm. And at the end of that passage, uh, the disciples say, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I can just imagine being there and seeing this happen. Who is this to be so totally in control of the things that we're so so dependent on? So God is certainly sovereign. He's also wise. And to me, the best picture of that wisdom is is the book of Job. The book of Job is interesting because God chooses to give his beloved child Job a very difficult time. He loses his children... His body is a wreck, Um, all of of his wealth is gone, and then he is comforted, if you can say that, by three of his friends, um, two of which don't get the story right, and are basically saying, well, Job, the reason why this is happening to you is because you're just a bad guy. That's why. This is what God does to people who are bad. At the end, Job, and and through through this whole, whole time, Job is questioning, why is God doing this? And at the very end, God comes out, I don't know if it comes out of a cloud or how it happens, but basically challenges Job and says, how do you think I did all of this? He goes through a whole list of, how do you think I made this? How do you think I made that? How did I start this whole world? And at the end of this discord, Job's jaws just kind of drop to the ground. And he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And so Job was confronted with God's wisdom and realized, you know, I've got nothing. God is sovereign. God is wise. But for me, the part of God's character that was most important then and certainly and, and still important now is that he's good. How do I know this? Let's take a look at John chapter 10. John 10, verses 11 through 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the character of this God. We get a somewhat different perspective of that from Paul when he writes in chapter 5 of Romans. Romans 5, verses 7 and 8. Actually, let's start with verse 6. For while we were still weak, dead really, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even care to die. But God shows us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I really resonate with that first statement. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Well, I know that's me. Would I really die for a righteous person? Would I really? Maybe, maybe. Would I die for somebody who's in active rebellion against me? I know the answer to that one. But that's my character. What's the character of this God who loves us, who saved us? He died for us. You know, normally when we're planning things, we plan things for our comfort. Bill's on a little vacation now. Don't know where he is, but I'm going to guess that he probably planned for a nice evening, car doesn't break down, no bugs in the, in the motel room, nobody gets sick. Um, <clears throat> I mean, if we could control the, those things that way, we certainly would, wouldn't we? That's the way we're made. At the beginning of time, God chose to make all of that, all of this, all of us, knowing how it would unfold, knowing what it would require of him. He would have to come, live as a person among this rebellious people that we are, and then let us kill him. Isn't that amazing? You know, we question all kinds of things of why is God doing this? Why is God doing that? Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, many of you know her or know of her, as a matter of fact, we don't get cable, but apparently she was on um, see, um, Larry King Live last night. Apparently, I knew this was coming. She's a young, well, she was a young woman uh, many years ago. Uh, at age 17, she had a swimming accident and became a paraplegic as a result of that. And God has done amazing things in her life. She has great joy because of this God. She's written a number of books. Very wise woman. She said many good things. But one of the things she said in one of her books that really got me was, God can bless us in one of two ways. Well, maybe others, but two extremes. One is he can give us everything we prayed for. And the other is that he gives us nothing that we prayed for. How is that good? God's aim is to make us like his son. We see in the book of Hebrews that it was God's intention all along that we see his character by looking at his son. Rick read this in the, in the call to worship this morning, but Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, his character. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What is God's character? Where do we see it? We see it in his son. What did his son do? He died for me. In chapter 2, verse 10 of Hebrews, we see another piece of this. The writer of Hebrews is making the argument that Jesus is grander than anything else under creation. And then he says in verse 10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should be made the founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. This is amazing. The almighty God, who made everything, chose to suffer for us. I can't explain that, but it certainly gets my attention. It certainly got my attention in Sioux City, Iowa. Did I want to be there under that circumstance? No. Was I scared of both what would happen and the pain that we'd be going through? Yes. Fortunately, God had prepared me, and Romans 8.29 was swimming through my mind that whole three weeks up there. His object is to make me in the likeness of his son. It was almost like a tape recorder that was going around. So it allowed me to interpret things from that perspective. The goal isn't my comfort. The goal is to make me like his son. What is his son like? He loved me and died for me. I was in a um, worship service probably 15 years ago, and I don't, exact, I don't remember exactly what the topic was, but it was something along this line, and the, the pastor gave an illustration that I'll just never forget. He told the story of when he was about eight years old, and his uncle was living with him at the time because his, his uncle's wife was dying of something or had been in the hospital for some time. And then after a while, the uncle's wife passed away. And this pastor, eight years old, was home that day, and he saw his uncle came home from the, from the hospital after, after the news of, of the passing of his wife. And this eight-year-old boy was watching. What will he do? What do these adults or Christians do when something like this happens? He told the story of his uncle sitting down at the piano, and he started singing a song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Now, part of the reason I'll never forget that is he actually led us in singing. I won't do that now. But that became my favorite hymn instantly, because every time I sing that hymn now, I think of that story. Where do we go to know God's character? To Jesus. Some final questions to ask here. Who's in control of the world and the situations surrounding my life? God is. 
What is God's aim for my life? To make me like his son so that he can be glorified. Where should we set our minds to remind us that this is true? Set our minds on his character, demonstrated by his son, who came, lived as a man, and died for us. That's his character. That's how we can know that it's true that he really does love us. He showed us that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are trustworthy. Thank you that you have shown us your greatness through your Son. Thank you that we can gaze at the cross and know that you love us. Father, we have thousands of questions about why this, why that. Don't you know that this hurts? But Father, we know that as we look at the cross, all of those things just kind of melt away because we realize that you loved us far more than we could ever love anyone or anything. Your love exceeds anything that we could have imagined. And Father, and although we are so often confused and we question what you're doing in our lives, thank you that we can't question your love. Thank you for this, Father. Help us to trust you for tomorrow. Amen.